Hi guys, welcome back to Behind the Mic with David Cotter. This is episode 13. I speak with an old friend, Pippi, or Parik for people who don't know him, Rowcliffe. Myself and Pip get into talking about his addiction, his addiction with drink and um, cannabis, his attempt on his own life, um, his scholarship to the States, the car crash which ultimately resulted in him breaking his back, but also his rebirth and reacquaintance with God, his PhD and his charity, Prosperity and People. So I hope you enjoy guys, this is part one, part two will be released next week. Without further ado guys, here you go. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Maradona just walked away from Hoddleton. Maldonado, Spartan, At the age of 20, I went to London and I won the Mr. Universe contest as the youngest Mr. Universe ever. And it was because I had a goal. Let me tell you this, the older you do get, the more rules are going to try to get you to follow. <laughs> you just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. You got some more, yeah. 21, yeah, get it again. Come on, we want to see it. Good, 22. Who's going to carry the boats and the logs? A man is supposed to take care of his family because it's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. This is the calm before the storm, before the surge. And when it comes, and it will come, never will so many ask so much of so few. Uh, Pippi Rowcliffe, long time no see. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you, Mr. Cotter. It's been too long now at this stage. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's mad to hear the voices again. Like, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier or off air there just about Dan, like, and... Just catching up, like it's probably it's probably not as long since I was talking to you last. Um, yeah. But like just just talking back with people, and I think for me, the podcast has been kind of um, a tool to get back in touch with people and see how they're getting on. Because even if it's not talking with the person directly, I'm getting messages from people that we would have been, you know, mutual friends with or whatever, like lifeguards and things like this. You know, and they're kind of saying, and I'm starting up conversations with them as well because they're texting me about it. You know, absolutely, man. No, it's it's uh, and it's important to do it. You know, it's important to get those conversations going. And you know, podcasts are obviously 
the bees in East these days through COVID, they seem to have, have really taken off. So it's, it's great to see you're, you're taken on board. And man, it's good to hear that those sweet uh, dussel tones again, those got Cork accent. It's been a long time, you know? <laughs> Jesus. And that soothing mayo, mayo yeah. accent. Why yeah. I the smoothest criminal that ever walked the planet. Yeah. Um, oh, so um, you've, You've conquered a lot since I last met you, so I believe. So I've been looking on from afar. You've conquered a lot, but you also had a lot of demons in that time. So I suppose um, mm. for everyone that's listening, um, I probably haven't seen Pippi now. I'd say in about five, five, six, seven years, six or seven years anyway. Um, and in that time, I think you were actually in the grips of addiction. Would I be right in saying that? You were kind of yeah. fairly well yeah. down a hole there with things. Oh, Do you want yeah. to let people know how, how, how that came about, how that all came about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I was thinking about it there before we came on air. And, um, you know, it's actually 2016. Last time we met each other was June 2016. So what's that? That's, you know, five and a half years ago, six years this June, like, and it's yeah, been... It's actually been some journey since then, to be honest with you, man. Um, obviously, like it's funny when we around that time, you would have been hanging out with me at the, or at least seen me at the the height of all that of those troubles and addictions and and that sort of thing. But I don't think anybody really knew the full extent of it at that particular time, you know. Um, I think, geez, it's hard to know to, or even to start, to be honest with you. But I know for me, my problems definitely started a couple of years previous to that, really. Um, I know growing up, I was always a very sporty lad, you know, physically active, compet- uh, competing in swimming at a good level. And I think at that point in my life, like I always was very aware that I was um, being given lots of really good opportunities in the water and opportunities in life. Like, you know, and I was reading back over some of my training diaries there over the last couple of weeks from 2007, 2008, 2009. And I had all these references to God and thanking God for such a, uh, a good opportunities in the water. Like, so I think I was keenly aware of, of that sort of stuff when I was younger. Uh, my parents are very good to me like you know we had a very uh, stable upbringing and and almost too much support in many ways because when I left secondary school and I went into third level that's when some of the demons began to crop up for me for the very first time in my life I'd basically been living on cloud nine for uh, the 18 years previous to that you know and I think that's a, a real indicator for people who might be listening in around mental health uh, mental awareness is that you know depression anxiety uh, self-esteem issues uh, bipolar schizophrenia it can hit us and it can hit anyone at any time and uh, it can you know it, it, that's exactly what happened to me you know I, I went to college and I think I decided at the time to take a step back from swimming you know something uh, that I've been doing my whole life a crutch that I've been leaning on uh, most of my life to get that positive uh, release of endorphins in the brain you know and very quickly I substituted that love for swimming with a love for drinking and I almost substituted that kind of uh, positive release of endorphins in the brain uh, from swimming uh, straight into drinking and, and partying and, and this new uh, love this new formed love that I had found you know and I had my very first drink in my first year of college I never had a drink before that would you believe David which I'm sure is hard to believe when I met you but um I, I think I think I think I've heard that before and 
hearing it again actually almost gobsmacked me again it was <laughs> it was like um, a complete new fact but i remember hearing it before and being gobsmacked at the time yeah. and it, equally surprising again considering yeah. now my memory of you pip is when we worked yeah. together you know so you yeah. can carry on there if you like yeah no it's uh and sure it's great it's jesse it's i'm delighted to talk to you because you're reminding me where I've come from, you know what I mean? But um, nonetheless, anyway, look, I went down a bad path of drinking um, in my first year of college. I took a step back and my struggles there, they really lay with my sense of identity. Like, and, you know, there's a lot of athletes today who are having the same struggles um, in terms of identity. So I went from living this privileged lifestyle, training every morning at 5.30 in the morning, going to school, training in the evenings, competing on the weekends. and living this, I suppose, a very privileged lifestyle and where I had a very firm identity. And when I stepped away from that, I struggled. I began very quickly to feel depressed. I began to feel uh, anxiety. Um, and slowly, those dark hands of depression began to take everything uh, from me, you know, those typical signs of depression. And I forgot how to, to, to interact with people. I forgot how to laugh. I forgot how to, to show my personality. But more importantly, I suppose I forgot, to, I forgot how to talk. You know, I've got how to talk to people and tell them the problems um, that I was suffering with at that particular time, you know, and um, you drink, you'd feel better, as you know yourself, common uh, causes of, of depression. And, and then all of a sudden you'd feel worse the next day. And that vicious cycle uh, from there pretty much um, continues. So, yeah, I got very depressed. I became very uh, suicidal. And, you know, at the time I, I hated myself. I really did. And. I'd wake up in the mornings, I'd have I'd have black eyes from the night before where I was hitting myself, you know, and, and that was how much I I despised myself at the time. And this is all again within six months of, of being on that cloud nine um, that I speak about. And for me, it's got worse and worse and the depression got worse and worse. And I tend to take my own life and that would have been 2011. So it would have been July 2011. So even a couple of years before I met you, I had various issues uh, going on. And at that particular time, I was very lucky. The rope I had tried to use had snapped. And um, only for that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today. And I think it was that moment where the rope snapped. I hit the ground below and I had this complete, almost awakening and, and sobering moment. At the time, I had drink on me. And... Um, I had this moment where I just couldn't believe that I had tried to do what I had just done. And for anyone that's listening out there, anyone that's suffering with any kind of mental health issue whatsoever, because they're all just as bad as uh, each other and they all deserve uh, the, same, the same respect as one another. What I say is, you know, those emotions that you're feeling when you're feeling down, when you're feeling low, um, they're temporary, like they, they do not last. Um, but the problem is that we buy into those temporary emotions at that time and how shit we feel and the hole that we're in and uh, the anxiety that we're feeling or the drink that we want to have. Um, and that's and that's what, what happened with me. And, and for that moment, I, I thought to myself, geez, my my mom, my dad, my brothers, uh, my my uh, friends will never know that actually I wanted to live, but I just didn't know how to live uh, a normal life. And anyone that survived uh, suicide will tell you the same thing, that it, it was an instant regret whereby, you know, 
they thought they weren't going to live and, and they wished that they hadn't made those decisions. So I'm, I'm here today. I'm very lucky uh, to be able to, to tell that story. I've only started sharing it in the last maybe uh, five years or so, but it's an important uh, story to share. You know, we, we all know what Sinead O'Connor's son there, who mm-hmm. obviously who's died recently. And, um, you know, it's, it's scary what happens, happens in the mental health services uh, today. You know, I went to the hospital the next day, you know, I was staying with the friend that night. I told him what had happened and I went to a hospital. And the thing is, I have great love for nurses, for doctors up and down the country. They're doing their very best, but they're actually very restricted in the policies uh, that underpin the, the, the way that we govern uh, mental health uh, in hospitals and across the country today. And I went in there, I told them what had happened the night before. And they were very well aware of the drink problems I had at the time. At this point, I hadn't actually ever taken a drug, would you believe? And um, they gave me a pamphlet. They said that actually in terms of um, addiction, they very much look on addiction and issues with mental health as two separate entities. And until I resolved the um, entity of addiction, they couldn't help me with with the one of, of mental health. So they gave me a pamphlet on addiction. I left the hospital an hour later and I was very lucky to have a, f- a friend, a family member uh, to put their arm around me and make sure that I was on the right path. But so many people like Sinead O'Connor's son and so many more up and down the country don't have that arm uh, put around them. And that is where the problem exists in, in, uh, in hospitals at the minute, where people are being let go for you know r- ridiculous reasons. And unfortunately, it's, it's causing... Um, you know, it's, it's causing deaths, you know, and, and mm. that's today. You can only imagine 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when there was there's, there's stigma around mental health today. I can tell you there was a lot more 10 years ago. You know, we're moving in, in a good direction. And there was definitely, you know, a lot of shame associated with that sort of thing. And there's a reason I only started talking about it in the last five years or so, you know. But um, in terms of recovery from the mental health side of things. I know I haven't quite touched on addiction yet, but I, I'll get to that in a moment. But I just want to get this point across if I can, David, with regards to mental health and the promotion of our mental health. At the time, I was struggling. I was struggling with many key areas. But when I talk about positive mental health, I talk about a stool, right? And in order for a stool that I'm sitting on here or a table to stand up tall, uh, it has four legs, right? And, and those four legs need to be equal in order to allow the table to stand tall. And equally, I think there's four areas in our lives that um, need to be present to promote our positive mental health. And the first of which is physical activity, right? You know, at the time I was physically active. I then became uh, not physically active. I suffered with my mental health and I knew I needed to resolve that. So what I did was I uh, implemented a training program for myself where my dose of physical activity was three physical activity sessions um, every single day for 30 days straight. And one of them would be a swim session. The next would be a, a cardio session, like a running or a cycling session. And the third session then would be some sort of social interaction physical activity session, which I'll, I'll go into a little bit later on. And, you know, I know you, you like to keep physically active yourself, but there, there's so many people out there today who are going through the motions when they train, right? They go to the gym, they lift a dumbbell, they walk a couple of yards and they think that they're physically active. Like the true fruits of physically of physical activity, they lie 
with an elevated heart rate. And if you can elevate your heart rate enough, you're beginning to build skills of resilience because you're, you're getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And if you can get, begin to get comfortable uh, with being uncomfortable, you're building those skills of resilience, of work ethic, of determination, of commitment, of integrity that are easily transferable uh, into everyday life. If you're able to elevate your heart rate to a high enough level, you actually can't think about how depressed you feel or how anxious you feel or that presentation that you have in the morning because it forces you into the present. It forces you into the present moment. And the same can be said for the likes of cold water therapy. You know, there's psychologists up and down the country and you know yourself, cold water therapy has taken off bucket loads in the last year or two. We've been doing it for years and it's so good to see it taken off the way it has and people realizing that you can actually get the same properties and benefits from it as you can in physical activity. You jump in cold water, you can't think about how anxious you feel. You can't mm. think about how depressed you feel because the water is so fucking cold. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. And that has a really positive psychological uh, process in the brain. They actually call it uh, exposure in the, the research world. And the more you expose yourself to places that are uncomfortable in terms of physical activity, in terms of uh, cold water, in terms of doing a podcast, in terms of uh, doing a presentation, engaging in academics that are tough, all that stuff builds us up and it allows us to be much stronger uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, all that kind of stuff. The, the, the second uh, area of the stool is our diet, right? What are we putting into our bodies every single day? It absolutely... Um, affects how uh, we see and we look at the world and the lens that that we look at the world and people often ask me like what should i be eating the thing is it's, it's not rocket science like you know mm. um you need to be eating regularly for starters you need to be eating a breakfast and a lunch and a dinner if it comes from the ground eat it you need to be eating vegetables and fruit and a well-balanced diet like with your proteins and your fishes and uh, your, your whole your high doses of vitamin b12 which we know uh, mm. have a positive psychological process in the brain and people who are suffering with the mental health don't eat well you know mm. i didn't eat well when i was suffering i was eating my takeaways and um you know all those common signs of, of depression or anxiety or, or, or whatever that might be Mm -hmm. the third leg of the stool there revolves around sleep again you know seems so simple but in this country we are woeful woeful sleepers we convince ourselves that five six seven hours sleep is is more than enough and what you're doing there is you're training your body uh to work at 60 percent or 50 percent at 70 percent imagine if you could get regular consistent sleep um for your eight hours every single night all of a sudden you're working at 80 90 100 you're much sharper in between uh the years and so on and for me i struggled with that initially the common signs of depression i was nocturnal like i couldn't sleep and i had to work that uh, back slowly but surely but i did and i'm sure you've heard the common analogy with regards to making your bed you know if you you get up in the morning you make your bed you start the day with a task complete and if you come home in the evening and all else fails and you've had a shit day at least your bed is made but it's it's been proven to to really i suppose um set the tone uh, for the day ahead ahead the last area there man uh, in terms of the stool is our social interaction right and again we can't underestimate the importance of being socially active for that positive positive psychological um process in the brain and you know the term that you hear a lot these days is that 
perceived um, barrier to social interaction because of COVID, you know, and people with that common excuse, like, I cannot be socially interactive. Yes, you can. There are more uh, ways than ever to be socially interactive. We're doing it right now, you know, mm -hmm. and it's so, so important. And for me, as I said, I incorporate the social interaction and the physical activity, and it could be just something as simple as a game of darts, a game of tennis with a friend, somewhere where I was forced to, to speak to others, somewhere where I was forced to have a conversation and, and uh, build up those uh, social skills again. And the thing with the stool there, man, is, you know, it's pretty much totally and utterly free. It's free of charge. You know, if, if we have a skin problem, I had a skin problem when I was younger. I'm a ramble here now, David. So I get a bit no, you're all right. You're um, I had a skin problem when I was younger, right? And I remember I went into the dermatologist and you've got a whole list of medication you know, that long. You've got 15 different medications that they're going to go through with you before you get to the most invasive one, which is um, Roaccutane. And so you go to your creams, your gels, your pills, all that kind of stuff. And then you get to your Rakutane, which is your most invasive. Well, why aren't we taking the same approach towards mental health, right? You've got your, your, your physical activity, your diet, your sleep, and your social interaction. Let's look at that. Are you physically active? If you're not, let's prescribe two, three physical uh, activity sessions a week. What's your diet like? Are we getting a, a well-rounded diet? What's your sleep like? Are you socially interactive? So we're going through these areas that are free we're pretty much bar buying your food which i'm sure we can get a, you can get a hand mm -hmm. from a mother or a father or an uncle or an auntie um and these are things that you can take control of and i can guarantee you you know i was actually thinking about this beforehand you know i would pay anyone a thousand euro um who's listening today if who does not take this on board who does not do it consider who does it consistently for six months and does not see an improvement it's it's guaranteed like you will mm. feel better you might not be cured but you you will feel better you know so that's my little bit of a, a ramble about mental health man but that was all before i met you and and um yeah that, that kind of set the tone didn't it really for the years ahead i i had struggles but i used that that stool to move into into mm. a good place unfortunately a darker chapter is probably lay ahead after that and as you say in terms of um of addiction with drugs really wasn't it mm. i just want to um, say one thing there about you mentioned yeah. about the exercise like and i did a podcast i recorded one myself um mm. just last week i think i actually only released on monday and yes. like i did seven tips that have worked for me to make mm. myself you know i suppose just not to be working optimally but be working a bit better than i was working before you know and one of them yeah. was, so my first rule out of the gate was get at least 20 minutes of hard exercise a day, five out of the seven yeah. days a week. And now this was without any prior knowledge of talking to you or, but this yeah. is just something that's worked for me. Now I do a good bit more than this, but this was just me kind of thinking, mm -hmm. you know, fuck it. Mm -hmm. 20 minutes of a hit class would sort you out. You know, if you yeah. can do it first thing in the morning, brilliant. But if you can't do it at some point, but like if you can get your heart rate up and that was one of the things I, I mentioned specifically, I was like, because I go to the gym and I do my weights training more often than not. I do it five days a week, but I'm not doing it, you know, to grow massive. I'm grow doing it to get really fit or well as fit as my muscles can get. So I'm not lifting heavy weights, but I'm lifting a lot and I'm I'm doing them fast. I'm probably not doing them the way you should if you're supposed to build muscle, but I'm kind of sweating most of the time. 
you know, and my heart rate isn't really low. I always finish it off or start it off with a jog or a cycle or something like that then as well. Um, but I was just like, that has been one of the things for me that I've seen, like, now I wasn't struggling with mental health issues or problems like that, but I just found that you kind of have this anchor that you need. And um, funnily enough, another one was waking up at the same time every day. Now I know that doesn't completely intersect with getting good quality sleep, but it's just, it's a routine that's related to sleep. But the exercise thing for me was prime. It was like, you know, if you're getting five hours sleep, at least get your fucking jog on the spot or skipping, you know, something that'll raise your heart rate. And I mentioned as well, and you might correct me on this. Now I said, you know, you hear people saying, if you can only get out for 10 minutes a day and do a walk. And I was like, I get it, but cut the shit, like just jog on the spot, get your heart rate up. Like, you know, the walk is fine. If, if, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, if you're starting out, you know, and you're really struggling to exercise and you're really depressed, maybe that's fine. I'm not sure, but I know that that's not going to help you forever. You need to be doing something hard. Like you said, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Exactly. No, you're spot on there. You've hit the, and isn't it mad? You've, you said this last week or on your podcast there on Monday from feel, right? You've done this, you've said it through feel and your experiences mm-hmm. with it, you know, and there's, there's no doubt you are bang on, on the money there. And even what you're saying there about walking, like, you know, uh, with respect, walking serves a purpose uh, for a certain cohort of society which is absolutely respectable and spot on and being active is most important so if walking works best and so be it but walking must elevate your heart rate and that's what we're thinking about here we're thinking about our cardiovascular levels we're thinking about our heart how fast is our heart beating and we don't know unless we actually monitor that and we learn how to train ourselves And that's what's important, that we elevate our heart rate, that we're beginning to get uncomfortable, that we're sweating, that we're, you know, we've got that tightness across the chest. And this is all in a controlled environment, you know what I mean? Mm. In a controlled environment where you can begin to, to as I say, build those skills of uh, resilience, which is so important. So, yeah, you're you're spot on, David. Yeah, like, so even, like, you know, when you're walking, like, if I go walking with my girlfriend there, if you want, like, you know, you know, you'll always be talking, but if I was running on a treadmill, there's no way I could get time in for talking or, you know, I couldn't even mutter breath because like you said, it just takes away your mind to complete. I know you're focused on is surviving, like in that moment, it's surviving and pushing through the pain. Like, you know, that's all, that's, that's what for me, it's kind of like all about, especially when I go on my long runs or, you know, even my runs, I think that for me, and I always say it to Fiona as well, like that is, prime exercise like I, I like going to the gym but it doesn't serve the purpose that the run yeah. you know that I come back and I'm aching and I'm tired and my face is puffed up my face is swollen red you know and you're after putting in 8 10k maybe more of hard running like you know yeah, and it's, it's, there's no better feeling like you know half an hour it's gone and you're feeling like top of the world you might be wrecked but you feel really good yeah yeah well I think a big part of that is education isn't it like you know I try and cast I always just try and cast my mind back to 15 year old Pippi like you know and um like I, I, I I'm immersed in academics in physical activity like so I'm very well versed in that area right now mm-hmm. um, but not everybody no, not everybody is in fact the majority of people are very uneducated on the the healing properties and benefits of physical activity i actually find it astonishing man sometimes when i you know i realize that physical activity is like the world's best kept secret 
in terms of what it actually unlocks for the body, the mm-hmm. mind and soul, like, you know, so yeah, no, you're, you're dead right there, buddy. Yeah. And for me, like, I actually, I, I said, if you want to go with like, I'd be like, I, if I don't exercise today, I can't sleep tonight. You know, it's yeah. just like, it's pinked up energy inside me, you know, and I'll, I'll actually be thinking all day, like, oh God, I don't want to go, but I'll have to lace up the <laughs> yeah. shoes at some point, you know, and <laughs> I know that if I'm not, I'm shooting myself in the foot, you know, I'm because I'm in for a restless night of just tossing and turning or I'm just, I don't know if that's me just feeling guilty about not doing something or if it's actually just energy inside me that I can't get rid of. But I kind of know, you know, it's my prescription daily to do something unless I'm working, you know, eight hours a day. I kind of tend not to do something them days. Um, but that's, that's the key word, isn't it? Prescription, man. Like we prescribe ourselves with physical activity. Like, you know, we we keep physically active for our bodies. And the same thing can be said for counselling. Like, you know, I, I still see a counsellor to this day. I'll be seeing a counsellor for the rest of my life. And I'm proud of it because mm. I'm taking care of my mental health. I'm treating my mind like it like I would my body. And I go and I work out my body every day. And then I look after my mind on a, you know, a monthly basis or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? In terms mm-hmm. of, of actually talking to someone and, and um, you know, speaking about those demons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to take you back there, Pip, if you don't mind. Um, just to something yeah. you said earlier, you were you were on about. Um, so when you went to college, you actually took a step back. Was that a conscious step back? Like, what was that because you were under pressure? You felt like you were just training too much for your age, and you were like, oh, "Okay, it's time to live a bit." Or was this, you know, you were just like, "This is what I do in college," or you know, what yeah, what, yeah. what what brought that about? Because you got like like you said, like you were you were clearly a happy, a happy teenager, like, and you were feeling fulfilled in your life and you were happy. So why, why, why change it? Or was it just naiveness? You know, you thought that you should uh, I be think, doing I think something. It, you know what? I don't think I, re- I realized the effect it would have on me. I think I went into college, a very sheltered young man. Um, and I'd swam my whole life. And I think my dream is always go to the Olympics and I probably for the first time when you're in that bubble, like you full on think and believe that you are going to go to the Olympics. Like that is the dream and nobody's going to take that away from you. And I think for the first time when I went into college, I could see outside that bubble and I realized that actually that might not happen, you know. And I think once I realized that I decided, well, no, I, you know, I got a taste and a flavor for drinking. I said, I'm going to take a step back here. I'm going to enjoy myself, you know, and I'm going to see what this college lifestyle is like and it just slowly but surely began to to wrap itself around me like you know and um the same thing can be said like I left you know I was in where was I, I was in DIT for a year and that was a that was a troubled year which I spoke about there it was a it was a tough very very tough induction into third level and I I you know I see it now I'm still in third level 12 years later would you believe and I'm um, not far behind you Pip to be honest but <laughs> you know and uh it's just it's you need to have a seriously good head in your shoulders to go to college I firmly believe that and I didn't have a good head in my shoulders going into college I did maybe in in some facets of life but I didn't Uh, and others I had never had a drink before and I'll tell you a story actually my first drink was actually out in Ackle Island right and sometimes you meet these people who are just bad drinkers you know what I mean and I was one of those people um whereby I, I remember the first night I had a drink was a pint of Bulmers on Ackle Island with um, my work crew at the time. And I had my first pint, I had a second pint, I had a third pint, a fourth pint, a fifth pint, and I just kept drinking. 
And I was always that drinker where I just could not stop. Mm. I once I got a, a taste for it, I could go for the night. I could go for two or three days. You might not see me for a week, you know, and that was my first night drinking. And I was drinking all the way through the night. I was drinking all the way until 11 o'clock the next morning till we were getting the boat back to the mainland to go to work. And I remember um, the, the boss at the time pulling, literally pulling a, a bottle away from me on the boat. And that, again, I just looking back on it in hindsight, like it was a real pivotal moment when you think about it. I think that was always the type of drinker I was. I was a, a real kind of all in or all out. I might not drink for a month, but once I hit the booze, like I'd be going, you know, that kind mm. of way. And I think some of those areas began to fester into later in life when I met you. I, you know, I went... I went to UCD for a couple of years. Things were good. I went to Olympic trials. I got myself back on, on, on track with the four legs of the stool. And then I went to UL and um, I got offered PE teaching. Great degree. It was like winning the lottery for me at the time. I got 355 points in my leaving cert. I was nowhere near the points for that degree at the time. Um, and I got in through some interviews um, and based on, you know, social back, economic background and through access to university, it was called to give you a great opportunity to, to avail of a course. So I got offered the course and the way I described my life at that time was very much, and this is back to your original question about addiction. By day, I was living a very, very model, uh, I suppose, efficient, really good lifestyle. I was head, still head coach of the UL swim team. Um, you know, I was coming top of my year. I was studying hard. I was doing all the things that I should be doing. And, you know, the front to the rest of the world what I, was that I was living a really good life, you know. But behind closed doors every evening, um, those issues around addiction uh, began to, to wrap themselves around me quite tightly, and specifically, I suppose, in terms of, of drugs. So by day, I was living this model lifestyle. By night, uh, the demons were coming out to play, and they were probably coming out in a completely different way to, to my previous um, history where I was drinking and I was having issues with depression. This was very much just that I was loving alcohol and drugs. And... Mm falling very deep i suppose into that pattern and just like before that vicious circle started to, to kind of build again i i was spending all my money on drugs um which meant that i had no money to look after myself i was stealing food and shoplifting uh, every single day multiple times a day to feed myself um i was spending my money on 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 drugs i was getting arrested very regularly and trying to keep this all under wraps at the time um and i think when you're sitting in a courthouse for the fourth or fifth time with your mother sitting beside you and coming from a good family at that you begin to realize that okay these things are uh, beginning to take a hold of me you know and I remember sitting beside my mother and this was around this was you know in around the time that I would have met you and work and um, this would have been around June 2016 just before the accident I remember sitting down with my mother when I left Cork to go back to Westport at that time and I left work and I remember I was crying you know mm. and I said I, I just want to live a normal life like you know I want to I just want to get up in the morning. I wanted it so bad just to get up in the morning to go to work, to uh, go for a surf in the evening and to be free of all these ailments in life. You know, I went through a three year period where I could count 
uh, on two hands how often I was sober. I, I did not know how to, to live a sober uh, life anymore. I, I'd completely um, forgotten how to do that. And when I'm here today and, you know, I'm living that life, I am so grateful to, to have come out the other side. And, but back then, I remember my mum would always say to me, you know, you're playing, you're playing roulette, like, you know, and in terms of your mental health and taking drugs, you know, I was suffering with ADHD at the time. I still am, um, but I, I've learned how to channel that in the right way. Um, you know, OCD, depression, all that kind of stuff. And when you're taking drugs, like you're you're playing with fire. You know what mm. I mean? And especially when you already have uh, mental health frailties. And she used to talk to me, you know, about, about different things that might happen. And I used to say, "You're mad," you know that that could never happen to me. And sure enough today, David, I have different friends up and down the country in psychiatric wards with uh, drug induced psychosis, um, schizophrenia and, and severe mental health disorders. And, you know, it's not just they're stuck with this for the rest of their lives, but it's not just them. It's their family. It's their friends that are stuck with, with a person that was not the person that, that they, they used to be like. So I, I feel grateful to have come out of all that unscathed. Sometimes I wonder how how I did, how we did back back in the day, and and some of the the things that we used to do, particularly my mm. myself, you know. And I think uh, a lot of it is down to who you hang out with, isn't it? As, as youngsters, mm. like we had a lovely group of of work people back then. But myself, I'd always sneak away, wouldn't I? And I'd always have my own uh, little cruise along the way. And you know, it's important to lose those people. Because if you yeah. want to go straight and you want to live uh, a normal life, you, you have to hang out with the, the right people and, and not have those those different people offering you different things at different times. Because once I had drink in me, I was kind of susceptible to, to take anything. And I remember at the time, this is just coming to me now, I remember you and I were in a, in a pub with our oh, work. Oh, yes, I know what you're going yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We were in a pub with our workmates and um, this like, I, I, I'm interested to know from your point of view in, in a second, like w- what your opinion was back then, because like whatever you thought, it was probably a hundred times worse because I hadn't told anybody, nobody, as far as I was concerned, nobody really knew the full extent of, of what was going on. But I remember you pull, uh, saying to me in front of everybody, I never forget it. It's, it's one of those things that always stood out in my mind. I brought a bottle bomb didn't I to a bar yeah 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 and I was trying to cut a hole in in the bottle bomb and fill it up in the smoking area and madness like and you were like huh no no carry on no yeah you were like uh you were like you're a you're you're a liability you know and I remember I was disgusted with you at the time I remember I remember you took me outside to talk to me about the comment as well yeah 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 I was disgusted like a liability you know because I thought I was I thought I was the B&E's but I was also in complete denial with any of the problems that I had at the time and you were the first person that kind of actually said it how it was and looking back on it you were dead fecking right I was an absolute uh, liability but I'm interested to know why you thought back then or you know yeah, yeah see I actually remember that night specifically and I don't know if I'm actually mixing it up but there was another night and perhaps it's the same night now because it, it could possibly be and just before I go into that you yeah. talking about being a model person during the day and in my night you have different problems and I can actually vouch for that because yeah. to be honest to God like there there's like 
you have like you had one of the most gentle personalities during the day and i mean the most genuinely nice people that you could possibly meet and i remember talking about this to decky like you know we we would always say he is so nice and then it was like you know we'd go for a couple of beers after work or whatever but like it was never a couple of beers for you like you know it was always a big heavy session like and you know and this was this was like i i thought this was great like when i first met you i was like oh you know this is this is fun like you know or whatever and i remember that night you know i might be mixing it up but we were actually drinking at a friend's house before we went in and they everyone else had gotten a taxi and and i think me and you were getting into a taxi and you had just drank a bit too much and your tongue was starting to get kind of ravenous like you know it was just starting to get a bit loose and i think you gave the, the taxi driver a bit of a fucking out of it and yeah. now he 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 there was no fault in him at all like he i, I think it was overpaying it was yeah. overpaying and, and you got really angry at him you know you were like oh why don't we get a discounted fare there's only two of us here and i said yeah. baby shut up i'll pay it just shut up <laughs> it's like the man and you were getting so angry and and we got you away well i i got you away in the end i don't know who was with me but you were yeah. really upset over it and and like i was like what the hell like this man was as sound as a pound not yeah. five 15 minutes earlier he was sound as a pound it was like a flick like that yeah. and i'm not sure if it was the same night but back to the bottle bond mm-hmm. so i remember you were just you you had all you had all the paraphernalia there like i was so confused because you had your weed you had i think it was a baraka bottle wasn't it it was a baraka tube yeah baraka tube. so you had a baraka tube and you had yeah. tinfoil and to be honest i i'd say i was probably only 17 at the time i didn't know whether you were shooting up heroin or what but then you know yeah. i had to kind of play it cool myself because i didn't want to look like you know i was green as the grass so i was like oh he's obviously doing something that we all know about so yeah. but i knew it wasn't right and mm-hmm. then I remember you pulling it out in the middle of the bar and you were cutting up the tinfoil. And I was just like, I just, I suppose I was probably loose enough as well the same night. And I, I, I was probably like, Pippi, you're a liability. And then yeah. you got really angry at me and we went outside to the smoking area and you actually tried smoking it outside there. Yeah. And the bouncer was there. And I said, Pippi, you're fucking reckless. And you were like, I, I don't know what you... And you started getting angry at me over the, the reckless and the liability thing. And I reckless, said, sorry. That was it. Reckless. Yeah, I was like, Pippi, you're reckless. Like, yeah. and, and I remember the bounce was actually very nice to you that night. And he yeah. was like, look, he said, the guards are after passing a number of times. He said, do not get caught doing whatever you're doing. And he didn't want anything to do with you. Yeah. And um, I just remember being like, oh, my God. I was like, he's not even putting it away when someone that works in the establishment... Yeah. is looking straight at him and yeah, yeah. like I, I i knew and i still did not do know like even through all your like your um your battles like it was very clear that you were brought up well like i mean talking to you like you know when you were sober i mean you were the best in the world do you know that kind of way? Mm-hmm. and it was just mad what could happen when you start to drink and you said there a couple minutes ago about your um your ordeal on Ackle Island for your first beers. And it kind of, it struck me when you said, you know, there's people who can't drink. And I think to an extent, most people are like that when they drink too much, you know, no one can drink if they drink too much, but there is the people that just don't know how to stop or don't know how to backpedal themselves a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that probably was half your problem. You were one of those people that it just didn't suit. 
as well, yeah. which, you know, like, and I know you're a fairly spiritual man, but I'd say God had a plan for you and he didn't want you to drink. So that was his way of telling you not to drink anymore. That's it. No, it's, uh, you've hit the nail on the head, you know, it was one of those things. And when I look back on those times, David, I was not a happy boy. Like, you know, I was, I wasn't a happy person. I would tell you I was happy. I probably had convinced myself that I was happy, but I was completely and utterly weighed down by drugs, you know, and drinking. And um, at that point, I had pretty much accepted that I was going to end up in jail or dead. And I had genuinely accepted that at the point that, you know, addiction was the captain of my ship at that particular time. All my choices revolved around around uh, those those things. And at that point, all I could do was follow. And I knew myself that I was heading down a path whereby I was going to end up dead or I was going to end up in jail. And, and you know, look, the thing is, smoked a lot of weed and did those kind of things. I never went, not that, I, I actually think that, I don't know what, I haven't listened to some of your previous conversations, but, you know, funny, I have a totally different complexion now of weed. You know, I, I tried different things, but I went very deep in, into weed, really, didn't I? And mm. I could sit here and say, oh, well, look, it's only weed, but I never actually want to have that conversation because, weed almost ruined my life like you know it almost mm. ruined my family's life and people who say like that weed isn't addictive in my eyes are uneducated because when you go deep enough into marijuana on a daily basis you know what addiction is you know what what addiction is when you're 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 scraping the crumbs from underneath the the couch and you're getting anxiety because you you don't have uh, what you need to have you know and you see people today talking about legalizing uh, marijuana and we would have had conversations i'm sure back in the day where i would have been totally pro all of this you know and i still am pro medical marijuana for sure but um you know long-term weed use in terms of amnesia where your memory just completely goes your paranoia or you're getting paranoid when you're sober in terms of um that that kind of brain fog that that you're left with in terms of the addiction people say it's not addictive i laugh i honestly laugh when i hear that mm. because it's it's highly addictive when you're using over a prolonged period of time but also education around it is totally wrong I mean, in my eyes you know you hear people talking about smoking weed because they want to reduce anxiety or they want to reduce levels of depression but actually long-term weed use does exactly the opposite of that like you know mm. it's a mind altering substance you know what i mean so look it's funny it, when we think back on it as i say not funny but it, i wasn't a happy boy and i think that was mm. the root of it all i was making all these choices based on my my levels uh, of happiness and and that's what led to the car crash you know it was two months after that day with you where I, you told me I was reckless and a liability that my life changed completely, didn't it? Um, mm. And I, do you want me to go into that or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> you, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Cause you, oh yeah. So this is the summer. Um, this is about summer 2016, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This is two months after that night. Two months after you that. You would have been, were you in the States? You were states yeah yeah okay yeah carry on yeah, go for it um so look yeah bad place i actually left work you probably remember that and decided to take a step back from working at the time i think i woke up one morning and i was getting myself in trouble with drink actually at the time wasn't it and as well and i between the two of them it was just one big bubble of addiction mm. and 
whether even if it was a cigarette, I'd take anything to take the edge off things. And, um, you know, I went back to to my hometown at the time, didn't I? I? I left work and I decided I needed to start taking steps towards sobriety or so, sobriety. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, I came home. I was due to go to the States that September. And this is the thing. This is where I revert back to my day, a model student. I came top of my year. I got offered a, an opportunity to go to Long Beach, California to represent the university on exchange. Like, you know, and that just doesn't, doesn't just happen. And again, this is in the midst of students who all got 510 points in their leaving cert against my 355. That's another conversation, the whole leaving cert system and how it only, um, it only helps, it only kind of revolves around one uh, form of learning. But um, although it is very important, don't get me wrong. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> look, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it is. There's no so doubt about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to just see the education system a broader scope in terms of a te- a te- I suppose focusing on a whole host of learning abilities rather mm. than the rote learning style that we see sometimes today but anyway um, look went to the states and just before about a month before I went there I told my mum everything that was going on told her the trouble I was getting in told her the problems that I was having and as always as Irish mammies do she, she looked out for me. She took me straight to a place called Swinford to a rehabilitation centre, you know. And I went into this rehabilitation centre. It was a 30 days or 45 days or something. Uh, every day you're sleeping there. It's um, There's a couple of nuns that run it and it's a really well-established place and I know it helps a lot of people. I got in there. A funny day, you know, they do a drugs test before you get in and, and I'd failed that, of course, and, and uh, drink and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't actually end up going because I only had 30 days before I went to America and this was a 45 day program. So I, I decided to go sober. I decided to kind of say, all right, I need to go to the States here. I want to go to the States here. I'm going to go sober. So I went sober for 30 days. And I think at that point I had everybody convinced that my, you know, my family and, and uh, my friends convinced that I was on a good path, you know, um, didn't know if I was going to get into the States at the time, but I did, thank God. And I think it was one of those situations where I got to the States and I landed on... Sorry there, Pip. You didn't know if you were going to get in through as in like get your visa because of arrest, being arrested or you didn't know yeah. if you had actually got the... Oh, okay. Yeah, I just didn't know if I was going to get... I actually didn't know at the time if I was going to get a visa, you know, and I, I did. I don't know how I did, to be honest, but I mm. did. And um, I got into the States... And I landed on U.S. soil. The first thing I did was go to an off license, you know. And from a spiritual point of view, I, you know, I don't know how spiritual you are, David, but, you know, there's lots of different forms of spirituality, isn't there? It's not, not just God. It can be yoga, physical activity, whatever that might be. But from a, a spiritual point of view, for me, in my beliefs, um, in a higher power, I feel that there's no doubt I felt the wrath of, of God's fury. When I landed on Irish soil, I convinced everybody I was on the straight and narrow what did I do? I went to an off license. I bought a couple of bottles of Miller and was smoking weed within a day or two with my my roommates, like you know. Hi guys, so we're gonna leave it there for this week, and part two will be released on the 31st of January. All right, see you back then, guys. Take care.